Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. <clears throat> we are reading in 1 Corinthians. We are ready to read chapter 14. Now last we read chapter 13. And Paul was talking really all about love and how we should walk and be in love. And how love was the greatest of God's graces. Now here in the beginning of chapter 14... He mentions love, and yet he moves into something else. He moves into a number of different, some spiritual gifts and different things. So remember, I am reading in the Amplified Bible. I will try to do better about mentioning that <clears throat> at the beginning, but I tend to forget. But I am reading in the Amplified Bible. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I'm starting in verse 1. Pursue this love with eagerness. Make it your goal. Now see, he's, this refers back to chapter 13 where he's talking about love and love being the, you know, um, let me go back to that last verse so that we can pick up from there. I think that might help. So, um, and now there remain faith, hope, love, let me let me read you the whole thing from the Amplified. I was trying to skinny it down, but it's not going to sound right. And now there remain faith, abiding trust in God and His promises, hope, confident expectation of eternal salvation, love, unselfish love for others, growing out of God's love for me or God's love in me. These three, the choicest graces, but the greatest of these is love. And now he continues in verse 1 of chapter 14. Pursue this love with eagerness. Make it your goal. Yet earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual gifts to be used by believers for the benefit of the church. But especially that you may prophesy to foretell the future, to speak a new message from God to the people. Now, they're going to talk about this chapter, Paul's going to talk about prophecy, but at times, the way he talks about prophecy almost sounds like something else. And when we get there, I'll mention this just in the way it's worded and the way it's being talked about for edification. So, um, <clears throat> so I'm going to give you kind of, this is kind of a definition here. In the Old and New Testaments, prophets are divinely inspired to foretell the future in the process of delivering God's word to the people. So, Paul is saying to the Corinthians that all gifts are worthy and necessary, but they should give the gift of prophecy the highest priority. Okay? So, that's what he's saying. Okay, so, but especially that you may prophesy to foretell the future, to speak a new message from God to the people. So, um, to speak a new message from God to the people. This, this. Uh, well, we'll continue on. We'll continue on, and I'll, I'll, I'll get into that more. For one who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to people, but to God. For no one understands him or catches his meaning. But by the Spirit he speaks mysteries, secrets, truths, hidden things. But on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for edification to promote their spiritual growth and speaks words of encouragement to uphold and advise them concerning the matters of God and speaks words of consolation to compassionately comfort them. 
So he's talking about the edification, the teaching of others, the building up of. So one who prophesies speaks to the people for their edification. It's not just they're telling a prophecy to foretell the future like a tarot card reader going, ooh, let me tell you your future. You know, it's not like that. It's one who's a prophet from God who is prophesying but is also teaching and speaking to you for edification to promote your spiritual growth and, you know, speak words of encouragement and to give you, you know, sound godly advice. So, that's why I say it almost sounds, we think of prophecy as just one thing, and it sounds like the way this is being talked about here from Paul, it's not just a matter of like a soothsayer telling your future, but it's someone who's prophesying, and you, in other words, they're speaking God's word to edify and build others. So, you know, it just sounds, you know, that's, it sounds a lot like there's not you know we we all prophesy in a way now don't take this the wrong way okay <laughs> but hear me out when we say that Jesus is already one we are prophesying that Jesus is already one because in our time because we live through time see God is omnipresent okay and omniscient omnipresent he's in all times at all times and we are not. We're living through time. We are passing through time. And in our time, you know, that has not happened yet. Let's say it that way. But in reality, in God's reality, and in, in truth, Jesus is already won. We already know the end, that that's going to be the victory. But we're riding this timeline, and we've not gotten to that time yet. Does that make sense? I hope I'm not confusing. Anyway, so, um, so Paul is telling them, though, the value of this prophecy, of this kind of prophecy and this kind of uh, prophet who is, you know, speaking a message from God for edification to promote spiritual growth. So I'm going to move on past this. Um, <clears throat> so, okay, we'll actually we'll go back to verse 3 and we'll start there. But on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for edification to promote their spiritual growth and speaks words of encouragement to uphold and advise them concerning the matters of God and speaks words of consolation to compassionately comfort them. Pardon me. Um, verse 4, one who speaks in tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Promotes growth. Now, I wish that all of you spoke in unknown tongues, but even more, I wish that you would prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater and more useful than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he translates or explains what he says, so that the church may be edified, instructed, improved, and strengthened. So, <clears throat> there was a gift of speaking in tongues. I'm not saying that it couldn't still exist even now, but I'm going to say that um, that was a spiritual gift that was used 
Um, it was as a sign to non-believers. Uh, it was a, it was a spiritual sign of God that uh, one of uh, maybe one of the apostles or a disciple would speak in a tongue that they did not know that was unknown to them, but it would be clearly heard and understood by someone who did know that language. So when he says unknown tongue, he means unknown to the speaker. But to others hearing it, they would hear that as their language. They would hear their language and they would know what was being said and they would be like, you're speaking in my language and that would be like a sign from God. And that was done. You know, if you go back to Acts, you know, that was done. They spoke in tongues and people heard them in their language. But this was a sign. This was a sign from God. It was one of the signs and miracles that that God used back in the early times, the early church, to draw people's attention and get them to realize that, you know, these were followers of God. And to get people to listen to them and to understand. Alright, so, but that has its place. And Paul says here, um, Uh, okay, so, but the one who prophesies is greater and more useful to the one who speaks in tongues unless he translates or explains what he says so that the church may be edified. In other words, just standing around speaking in a tongue that nobody understands, that's not helpful. No one is edified. No one learns anything from that. I don't think God gives us all that gift of speaking in tongues like that. I think, um, I think that is something that uh, could happen. <clears throat> I, I believe God is always capable of miracles at any time. So anything like that, any of these things that we, we discuss as being spiritual gifts and people say they've, they've passed away. In, in a sense of that we read about here, they have passed away, but God always has his miracle power. He always can do whatever. And I do not want to uh, at any time, so I don't want to discount that. But um, as a whole and as a practice, we know that these gifts are not um, predominantly how we are to um, attract and draw in others to Christ. We're supposed to do so by our walk, by our faith, by our love. That's how we're supposed to attract others to God now. Because that love, when you go back to chapter 13, and, and Paul is talking about what is perfect, and when the perfect comes, it's that perfect love of God for others. And that's, that's what is to be perfected in us, so that we do that, and we attract others to God through, through that love. All right. <clears throat> So, verse 6, Now, believers, if I come to you speaking in unknown tongues, how will I benefit you unless I also speak to you clearly, either by revelation, revealing God's mystery, or by knowledge, teaching about God, or by prophecy, foretelling the future, speaking a new message from God to the people, or by instruction, teaching precepts that develop spiritual maturity? Yet even lifeless things, whether flute or harp, when producing a sound, 
If they do not produce distinct musical tones, how will anyone listening know what is piped or played? And if the war bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So it is with you. If you speak words in an unknown tongue that are not intelligible and clear, how will anyone understand what you are saying? You will be talking into the air, wasting your breath. And that's just what we were talking about. Speaking in tongues when no one understands and there's no one to interpret and there's no one to say what is being said. It is, it is just a waste of breath. It's just a sound. It's just an unintelligible sound. <clears throat> you know, you expect the, uh, like we think of, he mentions the war bugle. We think of revel, reveille in the military. Well, when we hear that particular uh, bit of music, we know what that is. But imagine it was just some garbled up, awful mess, like me trying to blow on a horn, you know, whatever awful racket I would make. Well, that would be meaningless. It would be nothing to anyone because it would not be recognizable. So, so anyway, there are, I'm going to continue on, verse 10. There are, I suppose, a great many kinds of languages in the world unknown to us, and none is lacking in meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will appear to be a foreigner to the one who is speaking, since he knows exactly what he is saying, and the one who is speaking will appear to be a foreigner to me. In other words, you will be two people speaking two different languages, and you will not understand one another, and you will appear to be foreigners. I think what they're calling foreigner is actually like maybe a barbarian, you know, someone from another country. Um, that It's intended to be like you know, someone from another country speaking another language, even though I think it translates uh, more exactly to something like, you know, literally like barbarian. But, but then again, this is Greece and Greek, and, you know, they considered themselves to be very um, civilized, yeah. Okay. Continuing on, verse 12, So it is with you, since you are so very eager to have spiritual gifts and manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in ways that will build up the church spiritually. So, obviously they had mentioned to him, and he knew that they were eager to have spiritual gifts in their congregation. But he's telling them to excel and strive to have the gifts that will build up the church, that will edify them and help them. Pardon me just a moment. So he's encouraging them to, uh, to have those gifts and those, those things, those teachings that are, you know, ed edifying. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may be gifted to translate or explain what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unproductive, because it does not understand what my spirit is praying. Then what am I to do? I will pray with the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, that is within me, and I will pray with the mind using words I understand. I will sing with the Spirit by the Holy Spirit that is within me, and I will sing with the mind 
using words I understand. Otherwise, if you bless and give thanks to God in the Spirit only, how will any outsider or someone who is not gifted in spiritual matters say the Amen of agreement to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? See, if we all come together, and let's just say that this was a possibility, if everybody comes together and all they do is speak in tongues, but no one really understands or knows what's being said, and then you have an outsider coming in, they're just going to hear a lot of noise. They're not going to understand anything. They're not going to be able to agree with you or even know what you're saying. So this is still getting back to that same message of, you know, that practice, especially without an interpreter. I, I would even question whether or not this is truly a good thing at all because you're just making a lot of sound. But if you had that gift, which is supposed to be a gift, you know, of God, then I imagine it serves some purpose. But to me, without an interpreter, because he's saying, you know, if no one knows what's being said, then it's not beneficial. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Verse, let's see. There we go. Okay, verse 17. You are giving thanks well enough in a way that God is glorified, but the other person who does not understand you is not edified and spiritually strengthened since he cannot join in your thanksgiving. I thank God that I speak in unknown tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in public worship, I would rather say five understandable words in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue which others cannot understand. See, Paul's plainly explaining that if you're just saying stuff and no one knows what you're saying, if you're just making sounds, that's not beneficial and it's not edifying anyone. He would rather say five understandable words than 10,000 words in, in a language that no one understood. You know, if you came into an English-speaking church and you spoke Japanese and no one knew what you were saying, there's there's no benefit. It's it's just that you know it's just that idea. No one knows. So now Paul is moving, kind of moving on, still in the same vein, but he's kind of moving on with some instructions for them. Um, so verse twenty, brothers and sisters, do not be like children, immature, childlike in your thinking. Be infants in matters of evil, completely innocent and inexperienced. But in your minds be mature adults. It is written in the law. By men of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and not even then will they listen to me, says the Lord. Therefore, unknown tongues are meant for a supernatural sign, not to believers, but to unbelievers who might be receptive, while prophecy, foretelling the future, speaking a new message from God to the people, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So prophecy is speaking a new message from God, or, it, you know, in those days there were a lot of new messages from God, I imagine. But now, you know, we have the Word of God, and when we prophesy, we're prophesying out of the Word of God, really. When we say that Jesus is already one, when we say that, you know, we're just... Um, 
we're just basically declaring Jesus' victory and we're declaring what he has done for us and we're prophesying that he has won and that we are going to go to heaven with him. These are things, this isn't even a new message anymore, you know, for us. But um, anyway, so it's almost like teaching and preaching the Bible is a part of prophecy because you've got to tell that Jesus has already won. Anyway, <clears throat> that's just the way I'm reading and understanding this. So, I'm going to move on. I'm going to uh, pick up from verse 22. Therefore, unknown tongues are meant for a supernatural sign. See, they were meant for a sign to attract unbelievers, people who did not know. So, whereas prophecy, teaching God's word and um, foretelling God's, you know, the future that God has for us, that is for the edification of the church. Once you become a believer. So, uh, back to verse 22, sorry. Therefore, unknown tongues are meant for a supernatural sign, not to believers, but to unbelievers, who might be receptive. While prophecy, foretelling the future, speaking a new message from God to the people, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So then, if the whole church gathers together, and all of you speak in unknown tongues, and outsiders, or those who are not gifted in spiritual matters, or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? <laughs> yeah, they will. People already say that about some folks who who kind of do those types of things. But I don't want to be critical of anyone. I'm just saying that, you know, Paul warns of this, and there are people who look on um, Christians who believe in speaking in tongues, and they do that out in public and all this stuff. They look on that as being um, kind of crazy. But if all prophesy, foretelling the future, speaking a new message from God to the people, and an unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted of his sins by all, and he is called to account by all because he can understand what is being said. The secrets of his heart are laid bare, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God, declaring that God is really among you. See, it's so important that someone understand what's being said, that they understand the message and that the message is clear, and this is why. An unbeliever or an outsider comes in, maybe they come into service for whatever reason, they're looking for God, maybe they don't even know they're looking for God, but the secrets of his heart are laid bare, and so falling on his face, he will worship God, declaring that God is really among you. What then is the right course, believers? When you meet together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, disclosure of special knowledge, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let everything be constructive and edifying and done for the good of all the church. Now here he's talking about when they come together, when they meet their service, and how everything's going to need to be orderly and done in a correct fashion so that it is edifying and building and constructive. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be limited to two, or at most, at the most three, and each one speaking in turn, and one must interpret what is said. But if there is no one to interpret 
The one who wishes to speak in a tongue must keep silent in church. Let him speak to himself and to God. There is no need, if you, even if you have the spiritual gift of tongues, if you don't have anyone to interpret, if there's no one to say what's being said, there's no reason to do that. <clears throat> Let two or three prophets speak as inspired by the Holy Spirit, while the rest pay attention and weigh carefully what is said. But if an inspired revelation is made to another who is seated, then the first one must be silent. Now, and the reason is, he's trying to do everything in an orderly way. So, hear this. For in this way you can all prophesy, one by one, so that everyone may be instructed and everyone may be encouraged. For the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. The prophecy is under the speaker's control and he can stop speaking. It is not, in other words, it's not an uncontrollable outburst. It is under your control. You can speak the message of God under your own control. You can wait your turn and speak. For God, who is the source of their prophesying, is not a God of confusion and disorder, but of peace and order. See, God is not a God of chaos. He's not going to want the service to be some crazy, maniacal thing that no one can understand or, or hear. If everyone jumps up speaking at the same time, that's, that's going to be insane, and you're not going to get anything out of it. Now, here we're going to get into a little bit of something, and I'm, I'm just going to read this, and then we'll, we'll try to think about this. As is the practice in all the churches of the saints, God's people, the women, now there's a note here that this, the way this is interpreted, this women, uh, this word refers to a married woman. So these directives may be primarily directed to the wives of believing husbands. So. Now, I just messed myself up. There we go. So, let me get back to that. Um, pardon me. I do apologize for that. So, so this is... Where are we at? We're in verse... We're in verse 33. It looks like they broke these verses up weird. Because it says, for God, who is the source of their prophesying, is not a God of confusion and disorder, but of peace and order. Now, then we start a new sentence. As is the practice in all the churches of the saints, God's people, the women should be silent in the churches, for they, now this again was, excuse me, was a word <clears throat> denoting married women, women. The women should be silent in the churches, for they are not authorized to speak, but are to take a subordinate place, as the law says. If there is anything they want to learn, that is, if they have questions about anything being said or taught, they are to ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to talk in church. And Paul is not, again, talking about unmarried women. He's talking about married women. Did the word of the Lord originate from you? 
Corinthians, or has it come to you only so that you know best what God requires? Okay, now he's moving on really to a different point. So I want to I want to speak to this. One of the things we do have to realize is that society and the way people thought and the way people did things and the way women were treated was different centuries and centuries ago. Okay? Now, I'm not sure about this. This makes it sound, if you read this and take this extremely literally, then you would say that a woman should never speak in church. But, from a practical standpoint and from a standpoint of of uh, you know God not being a respecter of persons, this doesn't seem quite right. It's like we're not understanding something, and I, I wonder if we're just not understanding because, um, you know, women a lot of times were treated as property and as very you know he, he does mention being subordinate and being very subordinate to men, you know. And nowadays we take a different. A different viewpoint um, to a large degree um, in that you know I know I know I typically I don't think of a woman as being less than me I don't I don't think of that at all it never occurs to me um, so and again you know God is not a respecter of persons so I, I wonder how much these types of things, there are a few verses like this in in the epistles. I wonder how much of these are more like due to societal norms of the congregations where he's speaking to them and how uh, these different cultures view women compared to men. I mean, it was definitely mostly a male-dominated society. Um, it is really only in the past few hundred years uh, in my opinion, that women have really been able to be much more, what, uh, normalized or put in a position to, um, to be treated, uh, you know, um, as, as equals and fairly. There was a time, even a few hundred years ago, where women couldn't own property. So, I mean, in different societies, okay? I mean, not everybody is the same the world over, so... So I wonder if this wasn't, you know, somehow related to their their societies and um, the practices of where they were. Um, so that's really all I can say about that. Um, because I did not live in those times and I do not understand how we would say that uh, a woman can never speak in church. That means... Our Sunday classes would not, Sunday school classes would never be taught by women. And there are people who, there's one, there's a verse about, you know, not permitting a woman to teach a man. I, I'm not sure that's meant to be so extremely literally as we take it sometimes. Um, again, God is not a respecter of persons. A woman can learn and know everything that a man can know. So, uh, you know, I'm not taking issue with the scripture as such. I'm just saying I think we have to know more about these things rather than just to take that strictly, literally at face value. 
I personally think we need believing believing Christian women and we need them to be able to speak and, and relate what they know. So, just my thought. Anyway, <clears throat> that's just my thought. Let's move on. So, he's going to uh, move forward here. Um, with teaching them further about how to conduct their, themselves. So, did the word, this is verse 36, did the word of the Lord originate from you, Corinthians, or has it come to you only so that you know best what God requires? If anyone thinks and claims that he is a prophet, a true spokesman for God, or spiritually astute, filled with and energized by the Holy Spirit, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. If anyone does not recognize this, that is a command of the Lord, he is not recognized by God. Therefore, believers, desire earnestly to prophesy, to foretell the future, to speak a new message from God to the people. And do not forbid speaking in unknown tongues, but all things must be done appropriately and in an orderly manner. So, I also believe that it is possible that they had issues with some people, and maybe in this case it may have been women being, um, some women, maybe a group of women who were, you know, getting out of order, and, and, and maybe it's possible. I'm just saying it's possible that they were out of order and that they were, you know, uh, speaking, uh, and causing confusion in the, in their, see the, in their services in their meetings so that's possible I'm not saying that that's definitely what happened but so that could be another reason why this was addressed in such a way and it was married women so maybe it was women who were married to certain um, elders or something like that maybe some of them were being disruptive and Paul was trying to you know get that to come down a notch and, and not have that so just a thought, again, just a thought of mine, not anything I know for sure, so. Um, but, Paul is definitely stressing having an orderly service. We're pretty orderly nowadays. Most services, most churches have a pretty set structure. And you're not going to have a bunch of people just going off and speaking and, and yelling and making a lot of racket, you know. Most churches have a very orderly and, and good service. So, but this was where he's trying to make sure that they, they have an orderly service. It sounds like their service, when they got together and met, people were speaking out of turn, things were getting crazy. Um, a lot of people were wanting to exhibit this uh, gift of speaking in tongues, and they were not, they had no um, translation so it was of no benefit. So they were wasting a lot of time and effort and it wasn't edifying. And to new people or to people who were not believers, it would look like a bunch of craziness and it wouldn't make sense to them. So as you might imagine, that would be, that would be a big deterrent to actually joining their congregation. So it sounds like they were being disorderly in their meetings and he's trying to help them get their meetings and bring them into order so that they could actually attract others in a more reasonable fashion and so that they would be better edified through their meetings so that they would learn more and be edified to uh, 
be able to follow Jesus better. So, all right. So that is chapter fourteen of First Corinthians. I know this has been long, but there was a lot here, and it really stems down to being orderly in the meetings and in the services. Uh, more more than probably anything else. I think that's the big takeaway from this chapter. Okay. All right. So, want to thank you for listening. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, God loves you.